Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, a lawsuit alleges that the United Auto Workers leadership was prepared to sell out its membership as a result of kickbacks from Fiat Chrysler. My colleague Ken Braun exposes the taxpayer-funded labor centers that use public university resources for political organizing and policy advocacy, and progressives offer tax benefits to rich blue staters and drivers of electric cars that start at a $40,000 list price. Regular listeners will by now be familiar with the ongoing corruption scandals involving the United Auto Workers Union, which we covered most recently in our 100th episode special. Now, the Detroit News, which has covered the story better than any other media outlet, has a long piece, driven by greed, outlining the full history of the UAW and its corruption since the 2009 merger of Fiat with Chrysler. The source material comes from documents filed by federal prosecutors in charging and convicting UAW and Fiat Chrysler officials and a racketeering lawsuit against Fiat Chrysler filed by General Motors. GM alleges the most naked corruption of all, that senior UAW officials agreed to support a hostile merger of GM into Fiat Chrysler, even though evidence showed that UAW members would lose their jobs because union leaders were on the take, and that the scheme implicated the late Fiat Chrysler CEO, Sergio Marchione. Among the pieces of evidence linking Marchione to UAW officials was a custom Fiat-branded Terracielo Mare chronograph watch, valued at over $2,200, which the news helpfully notes is equivalent to two weeks' wages for a UAW member working the line at Fiat Chrysler. Federal court records allege that Marchione sent the watch with a handwritten note reading, Dear General, referring to General Holyfield, the UAW vice president, I declared the goods at less than 50 bucks. That should remove any potential conflict. Best regards, and see you soon. Marchione died in 2018 before any charges were filed. Marchione's top subordinate for labor negotiations with the UAW, Alia Cabelli, pleaded guilty to violating the Taft-Hartley Act by making illegal payments to the UAW starting right after the politically motivated bailout of Chrysler by the Obama administration, a politically motivated bailout that handed the UAW pension fund a stake in Chrysler. Prosecutors allege that Alia Cabelli's bribery was part of a scheme to keep UAW officers fat, dumb, and happy, pliant to management's demands. According to the Detroit News, management and union officials are accused of misappropriating nearly $34 million since the 2009 bailouts. And alongside the Fiat Chrysler Fat, Dumb, and Happy scheme, other UAW officers strong-armed union contractors into paying them kickbacks, spent freely for member dues and management kickbacks at a Palm Springs resort, spent member dues on golf outings and on a nearly $2,000 set of Titleist golf clubs, a set allegedly seized during an FBI raid on then-UAW President Gary Jones's home. Another UA union officer in the General Motors division pleaded guilty to running a different horological hustle. He convinced a Philadelphia chiropractor to create a company to bid on a contract for UAWGM-branded watches for shop floor workers. After the almost $4 million contract went to the chiropractor's company, the UAW officer demanded a six-figure kickback. None of these schemes are particularly original. They call to mind the historical schemes of Jimmy Hoffa's predecessor as Teamsters boss, Dave Beck. Beck? once hailed as the Republicans' labor statesman, was ousted as Teamsters boss after a congressional investigation exposed him for using a management-side labor relations consultant as a cutout to take kickbacks from companies that the Teamsters union negotiated with and to embezzle member dues. Beck reportedly used this personal shopper to acquire golf clubs, boat motors, and furniture, among other things, for himself. Offenses that, if the government's allegations are true, the UAW's rogues gallery would recognize 65 years on. And like the mid-20th century Teamsters replaced the crooked Beck with the crooked Hoffa at the top of the greasy pole, the UAW likewise tried to clean up by replacing the allegedly corrupt Dennis Williams with the also allegedly corrupt Gary Jones. 
from one labor union scheme to another, my colleague Ken Braun digs into labor centers at taxpayer-funded state universities, through which big labor organizes political strategy sessions, commissions purportedly independent research that coincidentally aligns with big labor's political agendas, and develops propagandistic curricula that present big labor's self-conceptions as objective facts to teach to school students. So, how biased are these labor centers housed at taxpayer-funded public universities? Braun invites us to review the presentations offered at the University of Massachusetts Amherst Labor Center for a March 2018 event titled Labor in the Age of Trump, Fighting the Right-Wing Agenda. Presentations included Organizing the Fight Back, Fighting Back in a Right-to-Work State, and Fighting and Defeating the Charter School Agenda. That UMass Amherst would be a den of radical left-wingery is unsurprising to those who remember that Richard D. Wolff, one of the most prominent Marxist economists in America, taught there for decades and that the UMass Amherst remains solidly aligned with the leftist post-Keynesian economic tradition and the further left Marxist tradition. And when governments recognize that it is inappropriate to spend taxpayer funds on left-wing political agitation and try to rein in spending on the labor centers, institutional academia predictably rebels. Braun recounts how one-time governor and last sane man in California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, tried to zero out $5.4 million in taxpayer funding for the labor centers at UC Berkeley and UCLA only to see professors and staff denounce his political interference and the university president cover the whole from funds under his control. The U University of California president had saved a program that the Free Market Pacific Research Institute characterized as using taxpayer dollars to, quote, harass California businesses, concoct bogus studies, conduct union activism, and engage in partisan politics. And not much has changed in the intervening years. Those with long memories may recall that when in 2017 an originally city-funded independent study of Seattle's minimum wage increases indicated that they were costing low-income workers $125 a month on average, aides to now-former Mayor Ed Murray contacted the UC Berkeley Labor Center, called the Institute for Research on Labor and Employment, to coordinate its messaging around a rival Berkeley Labor Center study that backed the union position. And we close with irony. The progressive left is working to cut taxes for the rich. Well, some of the rich. Specifically the upper middle class and high tax states and people willing to drop at least $40,000 on a Tesla. In Congress, Democrats, with help from high tax state Republicans, are pushing to repeal a provision of the 2017 tax reform that limited the amount of state and local, SALT, taxes that can be deducted from taxable income. In what must be inconvenient for those progressives who vow to raise taxes on the wealthy, Research shows that restoring the full SALT deduction would benefit mostly the well-off to rich, with the Tax Foundation finding that the higher, highest percentage gain in after-tax income would go to none other than the 1% of highest income earners. So, why do progressives back restoring the SALT deduction? Simple. By allowing residents to write off their state and local taxes, states like California, New York, and my home state of Maryland get their big government partially subsidized by states like Florida, Texas, or North Dakota, which have chosen freer market systems. This is a big benefit to government worker unions, liberal state government, and contractors relying on state government spending. In addition to the superzip residents who have made the Democratic Party the party of the 1%, even before political realignments after the election of President Donald Trump. But that's not the only tax code shenanigan that progressives are pushing to put money in the pockets of the well-off. My colleague Hayden Ludwig follows the saga of electric vehicle tax credits, pushed by environmentalist groups and car makers looking to sell more battery electric vehicles. To get an idea where even entry-level electric vehicles sit in the market, consider that a base model Tesla Model 3, with two-wheel drive, only 250 miles of range, and no optional extras, 
retails for $39,990, according to the carmaker's website. Given that Tesla promotes its car's cost after potential savings that include government incentives and estimated lower fuel costs, it shouldn't be surprising that Tesla has hired lobbyists to expand the federal tax rebates for electric car buyers. They're not alone. General Motors has also done so. Ludwig notes that the Congressional Research Service found that in 2014, 79% of electric vehicle tax credits went to households making more than $100,000 in adjusted gross income, which was nearly double the national average AGI. And while one can understand the pecuniary interests of the numerous car makers pushing for the tax subsidies, we can only chuckle at the progressive environmentalists like the Sierra Club, Environmental Defense Fund, Natural Resources Defense Council, League of Conservation Voters, Environmental Law and Policy Center, Nature Conservancy, and Union of Concerned Scientists that are, like the salt deduction restorers, pushing to cut the tax burdens of richer Americans. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll be off for the new year. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year.